The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today is the big day. It's election day. We've been waiting for this for a long time. And um, I, as you know, for those of you who are dedicated listeners, um, I've been doing the, the last, Several shows have been uh, essentially on exposing Obama, exposing him in various ways. And up to the deadline today, since there may well be people listening today who have not yet cast their ballot, um, I want to go up to the deadline, actually just like Romney did, even campaigning today. I think that was, Romney was campaigning while Obama was playing basketball. Now give me a break, that kind of says a lot. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, is he that, is Obama that sure that he's going to win, that he can play basketball, or is it just, is he trying to give that impression that he's so sure that he can win, that he doesn't need to keep campaigning, regardless? The point is, it takes a lot of energy, um, to keep campaigning, and, and that's how dedicated, uh, Romney is. Now, so today's, ex- ex- today's exposure of Obama is going to be looking at something else. We're going to be talking today about the dirty little secret of Obama's job reports. And um, my guest today is Dr. Stephen Camarota. Uh, did I pronounce that correctly, Camarota? That's close, uh, Camarota. <laughs> Camarota, ah, of course. Okay, he is the Director of Research at the Center for Immigration Studies, specializing in economics, demographics, and the impact of immigration on the United States. And so I won't t- steal your thunder um, talking about this report, but I think we probably should should say, and, and I'm interested in this, um, wh- who is it? What, well, first of all, tell us something about the Center for Immigration Studies. Is there um, is it a is there a political funding element to it, or is it nonpartisan? What is it? Well, it's certainly nonpartisan. We certainly. Um are not an organization that favors one party over the other. Um, but like all think tanks in Washington, it would be certainly fair to say that we have a point of view. Our general point of view is to be somewhat critical of current immigration policy. Um, we think that, uh, in general, uh, a lower level of immigration overall, but um, we should make more effort to successfully integrate the immigrants into our society. So you might say lower immigration and a warmer welcome for those that we let in. That would be sort of our, our take on the issue. Well, now, that's interesting, considering um, what this latest report shows um, in regard to you know how Obama used fuzzy math to claim <laughs> the job crisis is getting better. So why don't you tell us about the report? 
Well, what we've done is, in, is uh, you know, the report is available, so you can take a look at it on our website, is use what's called the household survey, or more correctly, the current population survey, which is where we get, like, unemployment numbers. Uh, usually job growth numbers come from another survey, usually referred to as the employer survey. They go around and ask employers how many people are working. But the household survey also asks whether you're working or not, and that's how we get the unemployment numbers. But the nice thing about the household survey is they release the results of the survey, including the raw data, to the public. And it's only in that household survey where they ask questions like, are you an immigrant? When did you come to the United States? And things like that. And mm. it may surprise your listeners, but we think that about 90 percent of illegal immigrants also show up in this data. Certainly millions do. Um, in any event, when you look at employment growth, that is the increase in the number of people um, who are working in the United States, just to round the numbers a little bit, during the Obama administration, this household survey, the current population survey that the Census Bureau collects, shows about 3 million more people are working now than at the start of 2009 when Obama took office but about 2 million of that net gain of 3 million in employment went to foreign-born people, that is, people who are not U.S. citizens at birth, that is, legal and illegal immigrants who responded to the survey. So two-thirds of employment, or you could say two-thirds of job growth, has gone to foreign workers in the last, you know, almost four years. So that's pretty extraordinary. Most of the job growth went to foreign workers. Yes, it is extraordinary. I mean, how come um, this hasn't been uh, discussed in the media more? I mean, I would think this is quite a quite a shocking finding, quite a quite something to have great debates about. Why haven't we heard about this? Um, in general, I would say that there are a couple reasons. Um, one is that, in general, journalists like to tell compelling human interest stories. There are lots surrounding immigrants, immigrants who come to America and struggle or face deportation. So that's usually the theme of most reporting. Sort of jobs data and so forth is not, um, is not, uh, is not something that reporters like to tell that story. So there's just the sort of bias of journalism. And then also there's a general inclination, I would say, on the part of journalists not to well, how would I say this, not to point out problems or concerns with immigration. So uh, there's a general orientation to, 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 to sort of try to cast immigration in a good light, and to that end, the idea that a large fraction of job growth is going to immigrants is the kind of thing that you just, they're just knocked out likely to re report on. Even though it, it is government data, it's pretty straightforward. Um, it's not the kind of thing that uh, you're going to see much coverage of. Well, you know, yes, it's not politically correct to be talking about this as if it's a bad thing, right? Right, I think that's right. The assumption is anybody who points out a concern about job competition between immigrants and natives you know, is a bad person. They must be racist. Surely that can't be the case. There can't be job competition between immigrants and natives. Now, no legitimate economists would say that. Most economists would say, well, let's take a look. Let's see what it is. There most certainly could be lots of job competition, or there might be less, but we'd have to, to see. But in general, just the way I think the elite reaction, including journalists, is anybody who even asks the question is, is suspect. Now, of course, you know, that's understandable, not necessarily uh, correct, because, I mean, our, one of the biggest problems, I think, with our country is that we have become too politically correct to the point of absurdity. But 
as particularly now, you know, right before this election, when the job statistics came out and everybody was looking for what they were going to be and whether it was going to be helpful to Obama or Romney, you would think at that point, when the numbers came out right before the election, even for the Republicans to point it out, why do you think, I mean, I guess it's that same thing, not wanting to seem racist. Right. Um, I think that's right. The Republicans have no idea what to say about immigration. The Republicans sense, look, that immigration clearly shifts the political power towards the Democrats. All the research shows that virtually all major immigrant groups are voting Democratic in general, not in every case, but generally Hispanics, Asians, European immigrants, the new ones, are all generally voting for the Democratic Party. And secondly, immigration tends to increase the size of the low-income population, uh, the population without health insurance. So, for example, about two-thirds, three-fourths of the growth in the uninsured population in the last decade is just new immigrants and their children, because they show up in this very same data that we're discussing today. But no one really points that out, and so what happens is not only do we get the political system move towards the Democrats because of immigration due to just the immigrants voting Democratic, maybe two-thirds, but also it transforms society in a way, like dramatically growing the uninsured population, and that makes Democratic arguments heard all the more sympathetically, and as a consequence, um, it helps the Democrats um, but the Republicans, while they may recognize this, and Republican voters may realize it as well, they just, they're, they're not sure what to say about it. It says, well, if we could just reach the immigrants, and maybe that's true, maybe, that's, uh, maybe, that's, uh, maybe they're right, but the uh, Republican Party simply doesn't know much about it, and what they know kind of concerns them, but they're so terrified of being called racist or bigots that they, they can't point out um, you know, these issues. I mean, there's lots of research, for example, showing that more than half of all immigrant households with children access one of the major welfare programs. And this has been true for over a decade. But, again, not many Republicans will point that out. A few. The Heritage Foundation here in Washington, a conservative think tank, has pointed out. But, in general, the Republican Party can't seem to point it out. They just are very concerned about being labeled racist or nativist or whichever term you like. And, as a consequence, they just, they just don't know what to say about it. Well, you know, but you're bringing up a really important point that we've already seen um, the results of in, in California, that the more immigrants, I mean, I, and I want to talk later about, I mean, my concern, major concern with, um, well, a couple of concerns, but largely related to all the terrorists who are coming in with this, with our lax immigration policies. But we can talk about that later, but... Um, you know, the, the thing is that the more, it is true that the more people who um, come over as immigrants and who don't have uh, a means to support themselves, um, they are going to be more and more draining on society, and they are going to be more and more voting, more likely, more likely to vote Democratic since the Democrats are more likely to provide social welfare programs. So, Gradually, I mean, we, we, if, if this keeps on going, we're going to have a one-party country. Um, yeah, or maybe more. Here, here's, here's the story. Um, yeah, the immigrants vote Democratic for a variety of reasons. Maybe some of them are mistakes the Republicans made, but a lot of it has to do from the, the societies they come from, right? In those societies, the state is simply viewed as more. Uh, um, what might be the way to say is that culturally, the state is seen 
as simply more likely to um, be a positive force for social change and for income redistribution, which are seen generally in somewhat more favorable terms, certainly than the typical voter who's Republican in the United States. So this would be true of immigrants from Latin America, true from immigrants from Asia, and European immigrants, although we don't get that many European immigrants, maybe 17% or 15% of new arrivals are from Europe. They, too, are voting Republican. So it's not really a racial thing, but it does reflect the, the, the politics of of Mexico or Korea or or Germany, it doesn't really matter, and that's what I think we, you know we're seeing. So there are partly cultural reasons from where people come from, and the fact that so many are low income. Yes, well, we'll talk more about that when we come back. My guest is Dr. Stephen Camerata. He is the director of research at the Center for Immigration Studies. We're talking today about Obama's dirty little secret regarding his job report. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman talking about Obama's dirty little secrets regarding the job reports. And um, the main point that I wanted to get across today, and we've started talking about that, is how um, Obama tried to, in the most recent job reports, tried to make as much hay out of it as he could, but he left out the little part about how two-thirds of, these, of this seeming job growth went to immigrants, foreign-born immigrants. And um, so that's, and, and my guest is Dr. Stephen Camerata. He is the Director of Research at the Center for Immigration Studies. 
And um, we're, we're talking about this, and we're talking uh, in general about uh, immigration. And I want to, before we continue, I just want to point out that, of course, it's a difficult, uh, touchy subject because, I mean, my family um, came from uh, Austria and Poland and Russia. They were immigrants at one time. My grandparents came um, here from those countries. And obviously, uh, I owe a lot to the fact that the United States had a policy that welcomed um, such immigrants. So, you know, unless, um, and I think most people can trace their their history, uh, their ancestors, back to being from some other country. So it, 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 you know, it does get to be touchy also. I mean, not only in terms of being politically correct or not, but also do we, how do we feel about saying that all the immigrants should stay out now but um, but it was great when our grandparents or parents came or great grandparents. Um, so it, it is you know putting acknowledging that there are all of these uh, sensitivities that do need to be acknowledged. Still, um, still we are our world is different now, and it's not just about. I mean, there are so many there are so many other factors than when. When people came um, earlier, I mean, you know, certainly, Dr. Camerata, you can talk a bit about this, but I mean, about how, for example, um, you, well, first of all, years ago, there wasn't as much, or there wasn't, uh, before 9-11, um, a, a concern about whether these people, immigrants, are potential terrorists. And also, before then, I, I don't think, but do tell us um, about the fact how the the employment status or the financial you know um, status of our country how I guess it would depend upon what decade immigrants were coming in in terms of whether they were more um, able to contribute to the to the productivity of our country or or like now when, when there aren't enough jobs altogether um, it's more of a competitiveness right I mean I remember, remember the same issues came up in the past. For example, and let me make it clear that my ancestors came during my ancestors came from Italy during the Great Wave, 1880 to 1920. Uh, very large scale immigration during that period. It was higher than it was before, and it was much higher than it was up until recently, really up until the 80s and 90s. Um, so we had like low immigration after 1920. But anyway. That immigration probably did have negative effects on the United States in some ways. There were positive effects as well. But one of the, the, the things that does seem to have been one of the key negative effects is it probably hurt African Americans. African Americans uh, uh, languaged, in, languaged in the South until the cessation of large-scale European immigration as a result of World War I, which began in 1914, and then restrictive legislation in the United States in the early 20s. After that is when blacks make their migration north and become a much larger fraction of African Americans join the middle class by getting industrial jobs in the North, which were largely closed off to them until the cessation of large-scale European immigration. And it's that migration North that then subsequently plays an important role in providing the black community with the resources for the civil rights movement and so forth. So well, that's it does... interesting. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. So in other words... What you're saying is when there was the large, larger-scale immigration from Europe, they were taking the jobs that then when there was less immigration from Europe, the blacks were able, African-Americans were able to, to fill those jobs? Right, exactly. 
um, you know, during that period of high immigration, maybe one million African Americans came north, had come north after the Civil War. But after 1920, about four million come north. So it does seem pretty clear that that European immigration was preventing the migration of blacks out of the South, uh, which then played an important role both economically for blacks. It dramatically improved the financial situation, or the, you know, the economic situation, and also it gave them political representation, for example, in Congress, which they wouldn't have had had they stayed in the South. So um, it doesn't mean that the North was, was, was perfect or the greatest thing in the world or racially enlightened as we would see it, but nonetheless, the cessation of European immigration um, does seem to have been, uh, it, it, it benefited African Americans a lot. So while those European immigrants were coming, it, it, you can argue that it was at the expense of African Americans seeking better paid uh, industrial jobs in the North. So that does seem to be what happened. So that's a reminder that despite the mythology, immigration has costs, and I've pointed out one, but it has benefits. And we could talk about some of those as well. But it's important to understand those things and not overly romanticize it, or on the other hand, see it as all negative. We've been talking about the potential for job competition earlier, and there is evidence that that's going on in the United States, but we could also talk about some of the benefits that having access to immigrant labor also also brings us. Yes, go ahead. Talk about the benefits. <laughs> well, let me give you a quick example. One of the groups that seems to be taking it on the chin from immigrant labor is um, is teenagers in the United States. They don't work anywhere near as much as they used to. Mm. Back in, say, even as recently as the late 1990s, two-thirds worked in the summer. These are 16 to 19-year-olds. Today, we're down to less than half, and that's before the recession. Now, this past summer was much lower, but before the recession, it was uh, less than half work. So this dramatic decline, and my research and that of some others indicates that maybe half of that decline is being caused by immigration. Now, on the one hand, the good news is it is probably true that the average 27-year-old immigrant from, say, Mexico, where a large fraction of immigrants come from, is a better worker than the average 17-year-old American kid. He shows up more on time. Maybe he's more courteous to customers. He's willing to do what he's told. Um, so at the McDonald's or at the you know, landscaping or house painting or name the profession where teenagers used to be employed, a nanny, what have you, um, the immigrant comes in and may be a better worker. And that can be seen and reasonably argued as a benefit to the U.S. economy. But there's a catch. And that is that the research also shows that people who do not work, will say, when they're teenagers, and especially the half that don't go on to college, when they get older, they're much less likely to work later in life. So if you don't work when you're 17, the pros your job prospects at 27 are significantly reduced. And the reason seems to be is that you need to learn the values necessary to function in the labor market at an early age, like not telling your boss he's an idiot even when he really is, and showing up on time and treating customers courteously. And if you haven't learned it by age 19 or 20, it's very hard, apparently, to learn it at 28 or 29. Mm. So here's a great example of the trade-off of immigration. We may well, on the one hand, get better workers. That's one. That's a good thing. But on the other hand, we are also reshaping the values of a large fraction of our young people, again, particularly the half that don't go on to college who need that work experience. And so that's the way we should think about immigration, not as all a benefit and not as all a cost, as trade-offs. And unfortunately, a kind of mythology is developed about immigration where we can't, as a society, think through those issues. Well, but the, 
but don't you think that the negative, the um, the longer term effects for those teenagers who don't get to have that experience in terms of the impact on our country is greater than um, than having someone do a better job for a couple of years, uh, you know, yes, for the I years. Mean, I think, yeah, the idea that unskilled immigration, however good the workers are, are going to be the boon to the modern American economy is frankly silly. And that values reshaping that immigration has contributed to, in my view, is a much more serious problem. So uh, if you're asking me, is this a good trade-off, I would say no, that the country would do with less immigration, and that's particularly less unskilled immigration, where the immigrants tend to be concentrated in jobs like food service and preparation, in building, cleaning, and maintenance, in landscaping, um, in certain types of construction, where the immigrants tend to compete with less educated natives. Um, I think it would make a lot more sense to not bring in all those unskilled workers. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I share that perspective. Um, but I recognize that, that there's an alternative argument there as well, and it's worth thinking about that alternative argument. And, and so that's, you know, that's something we should think about. Mm-hmm. Um, on, the, you know, on the political side, the thing to think about is immigration has consequences. Even if you want access to the immigrant worker, he is not just a worker. He is a human being or she is a human being, which means that that individual will affect a wide range of things in our society. For example, the politics, which we've talked about. The immigrant will come in and vote. The immigrant will come in and have his own political preferences in a mind of his or her own. So, for example, let's take historically. It's very hard to imagine the New Deal, love it or hate it, the, 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 what the Democrats were able to do in the 1930s. It's hard to imagine that without the children of the great wave of immigrants, that's the 1880 to 1920 immigrants again, without their, their children mainly in the 1930s, voting for Roosevelt in very large numbers. And so that is one, that's an example of... An employer may have wanted a worker in 1890, but the consequence is the new deal of the 1930s. And that's how, that's how things play out. So, um, and that's how it's playing out now. A farmer in California wants someone to pick his vegetables, or a textile company in North Carolina wants someone to work their mill in their mill. And, but it means that California and North Carolina may become democratic states, um, which they may not have been before. So, that's the way to think about the issue, again, is to recognize that when you bring people into your country, there is no more profound or important decision that you make as a society. Yes, health care is important. Yes, taxes are important. But really, your immigration policy determines not, you know, who you are as a people and where you're headed across a host of important variables. Yes, absolutely. Now, of course, it's totally politically incorrect to say that there should be more limits, um, I mean, de- depending upon how much more or in what way you want to limit immigration, uh, and we'll, we can talk about this in the next segment, um, there's all, all kinds of political correctness issues, 
But, I mean, is, is there something wrong, really, with saying we only want to allow, regardless of what country they come from, I mean, except for being terrorists, perhaps, um, yeah. that, that we should allow in only people who have a college education? We'll talk about that and more when we come back. My guest is Dr. Stephen Camerata. We're talking about Obama's dirty secrets in his job reports, his fuzzy math. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you find yourself tearing pictures of rooms out of magazines? Do you watch certain movies and TV programs because of the homes they show? Are Sundays reserved for open houses? Then you are a home dreamer. And someday, you will build or renovate your dream home. Steve Clip has spent three decades learning how to win at the dream home game. His show, Winning the Dream Home Race, can be heard every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let Steve Clip help save you money and make you a winner. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Dr. Stephen Camerata. He is the Director of Research at the Center for Immigration Studies, I'm having him on today because um, he is revealing the uh, the truth in the fuzzy math that Obama had in regard to the job reports, and um, not revealing the fact that two thirds of the jobs that he improved or takes credit for for adding um, went to foreign-born immigrants. So we're talking about immigration as well. And before the break, I was starting to ask Dr. Camerata about. Um, putting aside the pol- political correctness of this all, uh, about whether, for the good of the country, whether we should be only allowing in people who have, uh, let's say, you know, certain qu- certain qualifications. I guess having a college degree might be one. Having, you know, I guess artistic talents, music, art, um, you know, might be another one. I mean, there could be sort of a list of of of. Um, I mean that gets to sound like oh, terribly like uh, 
like you know selection of I, I mean I know it sounds awful, but at the same time our country has never been more endangered in terms of terrorism. And, and let me tell you, Dr. Camerata, I uh, one of my books is Coping with Terrorism: Dreams Interrupted. So I've done research on that for years since 9/11, actually. And um, and so that's my you know that's where I'm coming from that we are that the, the terrorism the threat is not going away and um, we need to be a little bit more concerned about the survival of our country than we were ten well twenty forty years ago. Uh, absolutely, terrorism is a profound point. I've also written uh, extensively on that topic. Um, on the question of immigrant skills, however, we have to be honest about it, that the immigrants who tend to be the greatest terrorist threat are the most educated. <laughs> Whether we're talking about the yeah. first attack on the Trade Center, uh, Miramal Kanji attacked the CIA, whether we're talking about the 9-11 hijackers. Remember, Mohammed Atta had a Ph.D., or he was maybe he had finished his master's and had, um, at least he was on his way to his Ph.D., but I think he had finished his graduate degree. True, um, and there have been some doctors who have been terrorists. Right. That's true. So that, I guess and so that, there, there's a re- I think there's reasons for that, but, but the bottom line is that, that, that terrorism is not going to be dealt with by... Um, by having a more selective criteria for education, what you would need is very good terrorist watch lists. You'd, ha- you'd want to do things like bring back ideological exclusion. If you are someone who, who has, you know, participated in anti-American demonstrations around the world, you've written all kinds of anti-American stuff, that is not grounds for exclusion anymore. It used to be. It was called ideological exclusion, and we used it against communists. Said, no, you, you're free to, you know, you can burn all the American flags you want in Pakistan, but you can't come to our country. We've dropped that. So literally, no matter how anti-American you are, huh. You are allowed in. Um, I, we can thank Barney Frank and some others in Congress for that, um, but that is no longer something that can exclude you. So things like ideological exclusion, better terrorist watch lists, and the presumption that you have to show that you meet the criteria for coming to the United States rather than the other way around, which is that you're presumed to be able to come mm. in and that you meet the mm. criteria, would all be very important. Obviously, enforcing immigration law matters. It turns out that if you were to look at the 50 major terrorist in the United States um, before 9-11 and up to 9-11, about half had lived in the United States illegally at one time or another. So vigorous enforcement of your immigration laws can be part of a way of up, uh, you, know, um, you know, disrupting terrorist plots. It turns out a lot of terrorists end up overstaying their visas, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, things like that I think would be very helpful. Um, uh, and when we should look at that. I, I think, and I agree, national security is a new consideration, but it's an important one. Well, now, of course, yes, I totally agree with what you just said as far as as far as um, selection in terms of terrorism. But uh, accepting that, I mean, I, I assume that, or I was proposing that. But um, but in addition to that, I'm just talking about people who don't meet any of these, who don't raise any red flags in regard to terrorism. But I'm just talking about making the country more. Um, you know, healthier, financially healthier, more productive, more um, robust in in all kinds of other ways. You, you know, not just trying to keep out the terrorists, but but trying to bring in, like for example, scientists, um, people who would help with um, creating um, security kinds of, of scientific uh, 
Um, sure, I understand a kind of skills-based immigration. Remember, we do give out 150,000 green cards. That's the permanent immigration every year. That's the people who can stay as long as they want and be eventually become citizens if they choose the green card. We give out 150,000 roughly a year for people who are uh, for employment-based immigration, and that's mostly either because an employer sponsors them because they because because they say they really need them, or because the person is thought to have some specialized skill that's in short supply. So we do allow a lot of that, but remember, most U.S. immigration is for family members. You, so if you marry, if you're a U.S. citizen, you marry a foreigner. That person is free to come to the United States. But also, um, if you're a U.S. citizen, you can sponsor a brother or sister, and then your brother or sister's spouse and any children they have can come in. If you have adult children who live overseas, you can sponsor them as well. So there's the broader, often referred to as the chain migration categories. They would be the things to eliminate. If you marry a foreigner, fine, you can bring him or her in, um, but we eliminate the parents, the brothers and sisters, and the adult children categories and just focus on that, mm. uh, the, the core family. I think that would be a perfectly reasonable reform. Believe it or not, we actually have a thing called the Visa Lottery where you mail in an electronic postcard and we pull your name out of a hat and we actually give out another 50,000 visas <laughs> a year that way. I know that sounds crazy, oh, but, but we actually do that. So that would be another example of something that's obviously uh, got to go. Um, and I think most, I mean, I think most people who look at it would say yes, but in general, the Democrats have decided that they, they're, they're willing to think about reforming immigration system, but the only way they're willing to reform it is to increase the numbers. If you want more skilled immigration, you can't get rid of the lottery from the Democrats' point of view. You just have to increase skills. Uh, you know, you create a new category or something. If you want to increase uh, skills, you can't eliminate the family chain migration. You have to add on more skill-based immigration. Hmm. Hmm. So that's the Democrats' point of view. The Republicans have generally said, no, we don't think we should increase the numbers. Uh, let me lay one other thing out for your listeners. It doesn't come up, but every researcher would agree with the following statement. The current level of immigration, or what the Census Bureau thinks is likely to unfold over the next half century, next 50 years, is going to add 100 million people, roughly, to the U.S. population over the next 40 to 50 years. It might wow. take 60 years. And that's something to think about. We don't think much about that as a society, but we should, because if you have another 100 million in the U.S., that has impacts on everything from traffic to pollution, congestion, sprawl. What are our environmental goals? Um, now, you'd think environmentalists would talk about this, and a few do, but most, because it's immigration and, they're in, and because they're part of the Democratic Party, don't want to talk about it. But it's a profound question to think about. No serious demographer was going to disagree with the, the statement. Is the Census Bureau projects that in the next 50 or 60 years, future immigrants, people who haven't come, and the children that they will subsequently have will add at least 100 million to the U.S. Oh, population. that's just staggering. I right, mean... and no one disputes that. Um, you know, it, it could be 90, it could be 120, but, you know, around 100 million is the generally accepted number. And that reality um, is something we should be debating as well in our society. And, again, it never comes up. So we have these profound, as I tried to say before, immigration is the most important issue the country confronts, and yet in so many ways we, we ignore it. And let's get back to jobs. As I pointed out, in the last four years, Two-thirds of the net increase in employment has gone to immigrant workers. So if you're interested in jobs, immigration is a huge issue. As I said earlier, 
a, a little closer to three-fourths, but between two-thirds and three-fourths of the growth in the uninsured population in the last decade is new immigrants and the children that they had after they, they got here. So if your interest is health care, immigration is huge. If you're interested in issues like congestion and sprawl and pollution and traffic, immigration is driving U.S. population growth. New immigration in the last decade, plus the children the immigrants had after they got here, added well over 20 million people to the U.S. population, or roughly 20 million in the last decade. Um, so, again, immigration's impact on a host of issues yeah. is enormous, and we don't even discuss it, let alone have a debate about it. Yeah, boy, that... <laughs> That is really staggering. I mean, obviously, not even getting into political correctness, but just in general numbers, I mean, there has, there has to be a stop to this. Um, you know, it reminds me of uh, experiments um, that I read about in, in, you know, psychological experiments where um, if you put more, too many rats, there comes to be a point Calhoun's where... Calhoun's experiments, put, yeah. What did you say? Oh, Calhoun was the researcher who's most noted for the rat experiments, yeah. Yes, where you, if, you, if you step over a certain number of rats in a certain um, space, that they become vicious and essentially eat each other. Right, you know, they fight population density, right, explains some level of pathology. And it's just worth thinking about. Obviously, the United States is a big place. And if, you're, if the question is, can we fit more people, I think the answer is, of course, yes. But the question is, what is the impact on our quality of life and the things we want for our children? I think you could make a, a reasonable argument that adding an extra hundred million over the next half century is going to have a you know deleterious effect on a lot of things that we care about. Yes, absolutely. So, is your what does your what do you do about it? What do you plan to do about it? What does your center do in regard to this? Try to um, inform politicians as much as possible of all of these of all of the research studies. Yes, I mean, I you know, uh, you know, I testify before Congress a lot. We try to disseminate our work with some success, but uh, you know, there's a kind of elite consensus. It's not a conspiracy. There's no. You know, there's not a bunch of journalists and elites who get together and say we're not going to talk about it. But the fact is there's a kind of elite consensus. Every story that has a benefit on immigration, that's the story. That's the narrative that gets told. Um, when people raise concerns, they're generally called names and, and so forth. So it's very hard. I've had more than one, you know, just college professor say to me, look, my research that showed negative effects from immigration on employment or social cohesion or what have you, I stay away from it now. It's just too professionally, you know, it's just too, huh. uh, too costly. Wow. And I think that's an, uh, a microcosm. Um, you know, that's how people approach this issue. Um, I mean, I could give you another example, which I think is a good one, and I'll try to tell the story very quickly. I testified before Congress a number of years back, and I was debating another economist on the economics of immigration. He conceded that immigration, this liberal economist, that, you know, may have reduced wages for American workers, the poorest 10%, by about 5%, right? He said, okay, 5%. Afterwards, I said to him, well, you know, 5%, let's go with that. I think it's bigger, but let's go with what you said, is about equal to the value of the earned income tax credit, which is the nation's largest cash assistance program to low-income people. I said, mm -hmm. no, you're saying immigration takes about half of that away. If I were, you said during testimony that that 5% was trivial not to worry about. If I were to propose exactly the same thing by arguing we should cut the earned income tax credit in half, because it's about the same value in dollars, 
what would you say? Who said, I think that would be devastating to poor people if we cut the value of the earned uh, income taxes. But I said, you just said that if immigration has that effect, it's trivial. And he said, we just kind of raised his hand and says, yeah, I know, but that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And I think that but, wait, captures... I, let me, let me, um, I, I do need to uh, interrupt you here it, because yeah. we did, I did hear the music, so we do need to take another break. My guest is Dr. Stephen Camerata. We're talking about immigration, today's election, and Obama's uh, fuzzy math. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking about the dirty little secrets of Obama's job reports. And um, maybe we should end on a little bit more telling you're telling us a little bit more about that. What what uh, because people are going to be turning off the show and going to the polls and hopefully making the right choice. <laughs> um, so what uh, tell us more about I know we mentioned the beginning two thirds, but tell, tell us more details about that. Yeah, on the jobs issue, one more time, it basically shows that the employment data that the Census Bureau collects and that the Bureau of Labor Statistics actually analyzes shows that of the net increase in employment, about two-thirds or two million jobs went to immigrants since Obama took office, and only one million or one-third went to the native-born. So basically, most of the job growth since Obama took office has gone to foreign-born workers. And it's important to note that this increase is not so much the result of immigrants already here regaining jobs that they lost when the economy really tanked. 
Rather, it's mostly the result of new arrivals. About two-thirds of that two-thirds are new arrivals, people who entered the country since Obama took office, because the survey that this is based on actually asks the immigrants when did they come to America. So it's not very difficult to calculate. Okay, so wait, so here's a question. So how is it that these new immigrants who are in a new country and, you know, have to get their feet on the ground, don't really know much about anything, how is it that they're getting all these jobs and let's say the immigrants and, of course, the non-immigrants, I mean, people who are here, are, having, are not getting those jobs. Well, there are several factors. One might be uh, bias and prejudice on the part of employers. Certainly when you turn the microphone off, you can certainly find employers who will say they prefer Hispanic workers over black workers, and there's certainly evidence of that. Um, other factors may be because due why? to why? The because they can take advantage of them more because they're new to this country? Uh, well, I think... If you ask the employer, they might say that they just like Hispanic workers better if they're biased in some way. Uh And that's certainly not an uncommon view on the part of employers. Um, There's certainly a lot of research to show that. Um, Other factors might be that the immigrants are are somewhat more mobile. For example, if there's no job growth in upstate New York, but a lot in Texas, to attract the American from upstate New York who's not working, you usually have to have some kind of wage differential, right? You know, maybe $2 an hour more. But for the immigrant coming in from Oaxaca, Mexico – Whatever the employer's offering is way more than he would have made in Mexico, right. so he takes it. And so it short-circuits the internal migration of natives to high-employment growth areas. Mm-hmm. Similar to what we were talking about before, about European immigration preventing blacks from moving out of the South. So that's another possible factor. Uh, immigrants can benefit from affirmative action programs, so that may help them to some extent get employment over native-born Americans. I know that seems almost ridiculous, but it, but it is certainly true, and it happens. Um, other factors might be that immigrants have social networks that tend to uh, help them beat out the native-born. So what often happens is the native-born population finds jobs, you know, through friends and family and, and through, you know, uh, Craigslist and in, in the newspaper. But what happens in immigrant areas is that once you hire, say, an immigrant foreman at the local warehouse, the employer often even ceases to advertise when he needs a new worker and relies on that foreman mm. to find him a job. So that as soon as that job essentially becomes available, everyone in the apartment building where that <laughs> foreman lives is, in, is, is informed of the job. And in that kind of context where social networks become the most important factor, uh, natives are often very much shut out. So there's probably a lot of reasons. Americans, and you know, let's be clear, the immigrants are generally hardworking, um, and America is, a, is the most tolerant and least racist country in the world. So they're not very, you know, not going to be prejudiced, much prejudiced against immigrants. Um, and so all of these factors combine to uh, maybe give the immigrants a leg up in the labor market in a way that, that you might not have guessed was the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess um, also there are these programs particularly aimed at helping immigrants so that more immigrants can, I mean, under, under a democratic regime, a democratic leadership such as Obama, or particularly Obama, um, there, he developed additional or strengthened programs to, to support the idea of more immigrants coming over. Yes, but in fairness, George Bush, for example, worked to try to legalize all the illegal immigrants, and he too... Um, uh, wanted lots of legal immigration. He supported legislation in 2007 that may have actually increased 
well, would have probably increased legal immigration above the 1.1 million that we currently allow in on a permanent basis to maybe 1.5 or 1.7 million each year. So he was. Now, Romney has not endorsed that. Let me say this. And of the two candidates, Romney's the one who has generally argued that we should encourage illegal immigrants to go home. Um, and those and jobs should definitely go to Americans, whereas President Obama has tried to argue that the illegal immigrants should stay and be given legal status and so forth. So of the two, if, if what you want is illegal immigrants to go home, Romney would definitely be your person. He wants to encourage that process. If you want the illegal immigrants to stay and become eventual citizens, uh, President Obama is your candidate. Well, you know, it always, um, one of the things that I do is uh, I work as a psychiatric expert witness. And in the early 90s, I was doing a, a lot of um, um, workers' compensation evaluations. And um, what, what boggled my mind, this was the first time I actually even thought about the issue of immigration in any, um, you know, where I saw it up close and personal. So there would be, there would be Im- illegal immigrants working for various companies um where they would get they would either get hurt on the job actually physically hurt or they would claim stress um on the job and they would put in for workers compensation benefits and they would have to go to court you know to try to uh i mean i would be doing a psychiatric evaluation of them um primarily i uh, finding you know <laughs> i used to sometimes i would even say this to them you think you have stress but um so i would i would look at their whole you know their whole life history and and decide whether there was any stress coming from the job and if so what and if so what it caused and so on and the, but the amazing thing was that even though these these workers went before a judge had to in order to get or try to get workers compensation benefits and the judge knew that they were illegals illegal immigrants that they would still get i mean in cases that they got it or even if they didn't get it that nothing would happen to them one way or the other whether they got the benefits or not that was kind of irrelevant but with the judge sitting there knowing that they're illegal immigrants they would not be sent home right i mean look everybody gets that we don't take our own immigration laws seriously why should the immigrants so um i think that with romney you at least have someone who's made verbal commitments to the enforcement of the law. And if you want someone who's going to encourage illegal immigrants to go home, again, Romney is your candidate. If you want um, the illegal immigrants to stay and get citizenship, Obama is your candidate. But the example you just gave is another example of why no one takes our immigration laws seriously. And they shouldn't. You know, I mean... We don't. Why, why should foreigners thinking about breaking our laws take it seriously when you can defy the law in front of a judge with absolute impunity? I mean, the list goes on and on. We've had the Treasury Department tell banks that they can open bank accounts for illegal aliens. We have city councils that explicitly say that they won't cooperate with immigration authorities and so forth. I know, so, I know, yes. And it goes also, there's the, the criminals, people who are put in prison and, and are illegals, and, and still there's trouble getting them back to their country. Well, thank you very much. You know, you've really, um, you've really elucidated this whole issue of immigration. There are so many, so many different aspects to it beyond, uh, beyond the job crisis. It's, this is all interesting, and, and we have to be talking about it more. And without you know, without just looking for what's best for this country and not not being prejudiced, but also not being blind. 
So thank you very much. My guest again is Dr. Stephen Camerata. He is the Director of Research at the Center for Immigration Studies. Um, go out there if you haven't yet already and vote. And I hope that this information has helped you to make up your mind. Well, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.